please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. I will be reading Luke, chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as He had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, He reclined at table and the apostles with Him. And He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among you yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Blessed be the reading of God's holy word. Father, I, I, I pray that in an unprecedented way in the lives of us, your people, that you would cause us to feel, to see, to experience, to taste what happened that night. Do this for the deepening of our faith and intimacy with Your Son who gave His life for us and to the glory of Him in that Gospel. Amen. The Lord Jesus has instituted two ordinances in the life of the church. Baptism in the Lord's Supper. Baptism is that ordinance that a person experiences only once. It's this outward sign of the inward grace signifying the beginning of their new life in Christ. In the Lord's Supper, as you see sitting up here with bread and the cup, it's also referred to as communion or the Eucharist. This is the ordinance that is to be experienced repeatedly throughout the Christian life in the life of the church as a continuing fellowship with Christ and the other disciples. So this morning, we arrive at this sacred meal in our journey through the Gospel of Luke. And just so you know, I I do plan on coming back 
for a second sermon, and I'm pretty sure a third sermon on this passage or on the Lord's Supper, because there's a lot of other historical questions that need to be answered, etc. But this morning, I got one simple goal that we go into this text and feel the historical moment of this most crucial meal in human history. So if you're there, Luke 22, start with verse 7. We read, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Now, if you don't know first century Jerusalem temple culture, you don't realize there's paragraphs in that one sentence of meaning. And so what I want us to do first is to get in the time machine and go back on that particular day and walk the streets of Jerusalem to feel, to get the context. And to do that, I'm going to use the help of the commentator Kent Hughes who describes what's happening on this particular day. The Passover in Jesus' day was a festival of immense skill and enthusiastic devotion. Huge crowds descended on Jerusalem. Josephus, he's the first century historian, Josephus, his estimate of about three million is undoubtedly exaggerated. More probably, the number of pilgrims was about 200,000, a vast multitude given the size of the ancient city. Accommodations for sleeping and feasting were scarce. The only allowable rent for those who opened their homes were the hides of the Passover sheep slaughtered by their guests. Long in advance of Passover, Jerusalem began to pulse with added commercial activity. Many of the pilgrims were merchants who arrived early to sell their wares. Their cries filled the air as they hawked everything from jewelry to spices. Beggars clogged the principal gates. The major purchase of the week was a sacrificial sheep or goat, preferably a lamb. It was required that the people band together in groups of ten or more to eat the entire lamb at one sitting. The day of sacrifice was given entirely to festive preparations a massive assembly of priests, 24 divisions instead of the customary single division, arrived at the temple early that day. Their first duty was to burn all the leaven that they had ceremonially collected by candlelight and spoon the preceding night. By noon, all work ceased. At mid-afternoon, 3 p.m., the ritual slaughtering began. This was completed in three huge shifts. When the first group entered in and the temple court was filled, the gates of the court were closed. A priest's chauffeur played a sustained blast and the sacrifices began. The pilgrims approached two long rows of priests holding basins of silver and gold. Each Israelite slaughtered his own offering and the priest caught the blood which was then tossed at the base of the altar. As the offerer left the temple, the slain lamb and its skin was draped over his shoulder. 
That evening, the Passover was observed in a home or room reserved for the occasion. The lamb was roasted on a pomegranate spit. Inside, the company dressed in festive white and reclined at tables with the leader at the head. In Jesus' time, the celebration had elements beyond the Old Testament prescriptions. There was a Seder, that is, a set order of service. The celebrants reclined while they ate because they were no longer slaves. It was the host's duty to interpret each of the foods on the table as it related to their deliverance from Egypt. The bitter herbs recalled their bitter slavery. The stewed fruit by its color and consistency recalled the misery of making bricks for Pharaoh. The roasted lamb brought to their remembrance the lamb's blood applied to the doorpost. Their eating of the lamb within their house and the death angels passing over them as it destroyed the firstborn of Egypt. The celebration concluded late. But many people returned to the streets to continue celebrating. Others returned to the Temple Mount to await the reopening of the Temple Gates at midnight so they could spend the rest of the evening in worship and prayer. Here's a picture. This is a picture... In Luke's mind, it's a picture of what's happening in that sentence. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover had to be sacrificed. And now notice in our text, Jesus Himself gets very precise about the preparations for celebrating this holiday with His twelve apostles. Verse 8, And so, Jesus sent Peter and John saying to them, they're in the Mount of Olives, okay, go down the hill, across the Kidron Valley, enter the gate, and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said, where? Where do you want us to prepare this Passover? And Jesus said, look, When you have entered the city, you're going to find a man carrying a jar of water. He'll meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says, where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room Furnished. Prepare the Passover there, Peter and John. Alright, get the picture. Jesus has a secret plan. He has a secret plan that none of His apostles know about because He is fully aware of Judas's intentions to betray Him. And what better time to do so in a room with just 13 men celebrating the Passover. So they don't know where it's going to be. And Judas doesn't know. Jesus is pre-arranged with another disciple at His house. The place and signs. So when He sends Peter and John finally, this guy's going to meet you. He's going to take you and go prepare it, and we're going to see you there at nighttime. And then they did so. They found the guy, they followed him a few blocks, took a right, took a left, and they ended up at the house, and they found everything just as Jesus said. See verse 13? They went and found it just as he had told them. And they, Peter and John, prepared the Passover. So, Peter and John, they find the place, they secure the room, they know where it's at now, and then they leave and they go purchase a lamb. 
And they go and wait in line to get into the temple courts. And then they stand in line as they move up to the priest. And they get there and one of them slits the throat and the blood is drained into the basin. And the priest skin it for them. And they walk away, one with the lamb on their shoulder and the other with the skin. And they walk back through the streets to this place or the upper room. They present the skin to the owner of the house for the use of the room. They put the lamb on a spit. They light the fire. And, and then they go back out to the marketplace to buy their bitter herbs and their fruit and their unleavened bread and their wine for that evening's Passover meal. And they bring it all back and they set it up like it's supposed to be. And I don't know, I guess they kick back for a while and talk. Wait. And get really hungry because they're smelling the, the lamb roasting. And they're waiting. For Jesus and the other ten to show up. And finally, they show up. And then we read verse 14. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with Him. Got to feel it. There they are in some obscure upper room in the city of Jerusalem. The hour has arrived. This was a critical moment in salvation history. And it's a moment where Jesus is going to pour His heart out. See verse 15 and 16. And Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And so, Jesus has an intense longing for this special time alone with His twelve apostles in eating His last Passover meal. He was eager to teach them the ultimate meaning of Passover. You know, what it represents over a thousand years earlier, that night in Egypt of the original Passover and the blood on the doorpost and in their houses eating the lamb, it was but a type, a shadow, a picture of the true, ultimate Passover lamb who will take away the sins of the world. The Passover on this night will forever be transformed. Its celebration would become an acted parable of the life and the death of Jesus. We can only imagine what Jesus felt during this Passover meal. The whole meal is recalling the blood of the Lamb and then like with a paintbrush, putting on the doorpost outside on the porch of your house. And they're going to consume the Lamb inside while the death angel goes throughout Egypt killing every firstborn. Unless the angel sees the blood and then no judgment here. We're going to Passover. This is going on this night in this room for a few hours in their Passover meal. But all along, Jesus knows He is preparing Himself to suffer and to be the sacrificial 
Lamb. And these men at the table with Him represent everyone for whom He will suffer and die. Listen to Jesus' words very closely in verse 15. And He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Can you stop? Why? Why, Jesus, are you inside? You're expressing your human emotion of wanting to do this. How come? And the answer's in the next verse. That's why it begins with the word for. Meaning, here's the reason why. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer because I tell you I will not eat it again. Meaning, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He says, this is it. This is my last meal with you guys with the Passover. This is the last time I will be celebrating the Passover meal with you. And then the word, until. I will, in other words, eat it again. Then. When? When it, the Passover meal, is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That's when. In the consummation of the kingdom, in the new heavens, in the new earth, and in the resurrection, then I will celebrate it again. Because then it will be fulfilled. I will not eat the Passover with My disciples again until I return. This Passover meal doesn't just look back to Egypt. It now clearly looks forward to not just deliverance from Egypt, but to the ultimate and eternal deliverance from damnation and condemnation and sin in the consummation of the kingdom. Now, the meal that we're looking at in this room in Jerusalem, these words He says are on His pre-suffering, pre-death side. But He does say, I'm going to die and somehow I'm going to eat this meal again with you guys one day. I will eat it with all My disciples, with all the redeemed, when it is fulfilled in the kingdom. So, do you see it yet? Okay. I think that's what He's doing. Look, look at the words again. Until it... It's got to refer to the Passover here. That's its antecedent. Until it, the Passover, is fulfilled Fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What does that mean, fulfilled? I thought Jesus was our Passover lamb and He was slain. That, isn't the Passover fulfilled in His death? The Apostle Paul clearly wrote in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, For Christ, our Passover lamb, 
has been sacrificed. So what's he saying? Think about it. Yes, it's true. Like this picture in Egypt, in every home, there was a a slaughtered lamb and they're eating it and the blood was on the doorpost and the angel of death passed over that night. And now, Jesus is the reality to which it pointed and the very next day of what we're reading, He suffered and He died and He was slaughtered. He was the Lamb of God. And here's the truth of it now. Jesus is the Lamb of God who shed His blood. means this. For every human being who would have His blood pasted onto the doorposts of their heart through faith, judgment will pass over. That's not fulfilled yet. Because when He said it, and 127 years after He said it, and 1,433 years after He said it, and today, it's not yet fulfilled. Because His blood was shed for everyone who will come to Him. And there are still People who are yet to be born and to sin and to hear this gospel and come to Christ. But one day it will end and Jesus will come back and He will celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb of Passover with all the redeemed. And so whenever we, the church, throughout the generations and throughout the world, celebrate the bread and the cup, we should always be eating and drinking with an eye to the ultimate Lord's Supper at the marriage supper of Jesus in the resurrection. This is why the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11.26, For as Often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Now, whether you, whether you thought about it or, or not, when it comes to what we're going to see now in Christ, His words over the bread and over the cup and instituting the Lord's Supper, it's not in John. John gives us a whole bunch of stuff that happened that night and great teaching. Really important. But the institution of it in the gospel way is only in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Now, I want to point out another thing. Unlike Matthew and Mark, which only tell us of one cup, Luke has the fuller account, and he tells us of two cups. Notice verse 17. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. Okay, see that cup? Well, now jump down later in the meal to verse 20. And likewise, the cup. After he had eaten, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Okay, so let's just get the picture of what's happened. It's a Seder. And the traditional Seder or Passover meal had four cups. The first cup started off the meal where there was a blessing, thanksgiving given. And they kicked it off. 
and they had the first cup. Then the second cup came after the liturgy part of the explanation for why we celebrate this day every year at this time. And then they would drink the second cup and sing Hillel Psalms. And then they would eat and eat and eat. And after the meal, the third cup would come. And then the fourth cup was at the end of the service where it was concluding in their singing of Hillel Psalms. So it was four cups, okay? Get the picture. Now, at the beginning of the meal, we have already seen how Jesus opened it up. It started, okay? And He's still in that opening. And He, he, he says, I can't wait. I've been so longing to do this meal. And this, now He grabs the first cup. Verse 17. And He took a cup. It's the first cup. And when He had given thanks, He said, take this one cup and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the Kingdom of God comes. First, you see, you see that phrase there? When He had given thanks. That's the Greek word, eucharisteo. Now, some of you, it's ringing a bell. That's why through the centuries, one of the, the names that the Lord's Supper has had is Eucharist. Eucharisteo is the word for giving thanks. And Jesus says, take this one cup and share it among yourselves. The body of disciples are one. They're in communion. And then again, Jesus, like He did to open it up, emphasized the future Passover meal. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God come. Okay, so they've done that part. We're in the upper room with them. And then what they did is they recited the liturgy of the Passover and what it's representing. And then they all drank again of the second cup. And they sang Hallel songs. And then they began to eat the supper. And the unleavened bread, which is cut in to small, thin loaves, and there's no leaven in it, so it's more like wafers or crackers, was to go first in the meal. And just pick it up there in verse 19. And He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Yeah. They must have been really puzzled. It's going to be a little bit, at least a few days until He rises from the dead and starts to teach them where they're going to finally say, Oh, that's what you're saying. That's what you mean. The unleavened bread in the Seder represented the bread of affliction. Because it reminded them of their persecution, of slavery and 
by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. I just either turn there or listen. I want to go back to Moses for a second. We're, we're, this is why they're celebrating, because God said celebrate this every year. And in Deuteronomy 16, let me start with verse 2. This is, this is how it's put. Listen up. And you shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock of the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make His name dwell there. The temple eventually. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, comma, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. And that's what the bread represents in this meal. Now, Jesus interprets the bread by linking it to His offered body. Saying, it represents my death. This is my body means this bread represents my body. Let me say it this way. Just be in the room. This bread represents the body that is holding the bread that is something other than the body. So I best shot at it. It represents my body and then saying that will be given for you. Meaning as a sacrificial death. That's what the words given for you. My body, guys, they're going to get it days later, is linked to your salvation. Jesus' death, in other words, has repercussions for the fate of the twelve. And others throughout history who tie their fate to Jesus. The Apostle Paul would just later write in Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a, a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, Chapter 10. Church. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? In other words, all believers share in one body which was broken for them. The image Jesus is pointing to is the unity or the communion of believers. And therefore, He institutes a practice. He institutes an ongoing 
reenactment of what I guys have just done in front of you. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a memorial meal. The church throughout the ages is to constantly recall what Jesus did or in that original setting that night, what He was about to do. Take it. Eat it, guys. And they do. And then they go on eating. After the bread, they go into the bitter herbs and they eat them. And they move on finally to the delicious Lamb, and they eat, and Jesus is talking, and He's teaching, and time is going by. I don't know, 40 minutes, an hour? They're eating the supper. We get a lot of teaching of what's happening in John. Okay, a lot of time goes by. And then finally, they're done with the meal, and Jesus takes the third cup. See it there, verse 20? And likewise the cup, that word likewise, means He also with the cup gave thanks. And Luke is just saving space. Just, he gave thanks. He gave a blessing over. And then He addressed the twelve directly again. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. By calling the cup the new covenant in my blood, Jesus is clearly contrasting His atoning death and sacrifice up against all the old covenant sacrifices of animals. With the cup, saying, this is My blood which within 24 hours will be shed and He will be dead. He is saying, My life in death is purchased. Jeremiah 31. Verses 31-34. to I'm going to read it. Hear it. Hundreds of years earlier, God says through the prophet, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. For this is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. He says, here it is. I will put My law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be My people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord! No way. For if they're in the New Covenant, they all shall know Me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. With Jesus' death, the benefits of new life 
of a new heart where God's Word, His law, His righteousness is somehow miraculously written on a sinful heart. And they're different. It is His purchasing the merciful work of new birth. of God the Holy Spirit coming into a spiritually dead, God-hating person and making them alive. He purchased the new age of the Holy Spirit. The new age of new birth and outpouring as Jeremiah said, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put My law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. Because God Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit will enter them. And if He does, you cannot help but have taste buds for what delights God. That's why you came to Christ. For God who said, let there be light, is the One who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ us so we could see it and appreciate it and love it. This is my blood. Look back at Jeremiah 31. Look back at Ezekiel 32 and 36. It's going to happen because of what I'm going to do in the next 24 hours. Disciples, in other words, are very different than mere Old Covenant people. Jeremiah says, not like the Old Covenant where you broke. The difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is in the Old Covenant, God gave them the law without giving them a new heart to love it. In the New Covenant that Jesus purchased, He also purchased the new heart to respond. He purchased the saving indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Disciples, like the twelve and all that they represent, are those persons who have been plucked out of spiritual death and darkness into new life. This is how Paul just says this in different words in Ephesians 2 to people who are New Covenant people now. He says, and you were, remember before you came to Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following demonic spirits or the prince of the power of the air. But, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And so, Disciples of Jesus are those people who hear the words of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave... This is my body given for you. He gave... His only Son. So that 
whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will be passed over. But they will have eternal life. Disciples are those who hear that Gospel and they believe. They just believe. They hear it, Nate, for what it is. The truth. And not only the truth, the most delicious truth imaginable to their hearts. And thus, they confirm it by getting baptized. And then those disciples, all of them, regularly keep their focus throughout their lives as a community on Jesus' substitutionary death that purchased this new eternal life. And they do so by the memorial of the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of Me. And so this meal again that we're about to share, it is both sobering and joy-filling. And so as the music plays, And we pass out the bread and the cup to all who are baptized believers. I want us all, as the music plays, to just ponder in the presence of the Holy Spirit that the twelve in that upper room with flickering candlelight sat there and they heard the Lord Jesus, just hours before His horrific suffering and death, they heard the Lord Jesus unlock the mystery of eternal salvation by saying to them, this is My body given for you. And this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's my life over this next 20 hours for you. Do this supper in remembrance of me.